Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the season of Advent and the church calendar. I'm not going back there today, but I have been reflecting on the secular calendar and how it has its own icons of a sort for each of the holidays. Cupid for Valentine's Day, a leprechaun for St. Patty's, the Easter Bunny, if you're a Charles Schultz fan, the Great Pumpkin at Halloween, Santa and his reindeer at Christmas, and at New Year's, Father Time. I suppose it isn't surprising that Father Time gets associated with tomorrow's holiday. We are not only turning the page on a month, but for those of us who use wall calendars, it's a whole new hanging in my case, replete with pictures of grandkids who are clearly a year older. The relentless turning of the pages of the calendar and the even faster turning of the hands of the clock. It can be so easy to settle into a mindset that traps us in a sense of pressure and scarcity. There never seems to be enough time to do the things we need to do, much less the things we'd like to do. Digital devices that we were promised would make our lives easier and give us more free time end up fueling the sense of pressure when they come with expectations of our continuous availability and instant responses. It's a trap I'm especially prone to. When I was commuting, my entire trip down to Union Station on the subway after work was consumed with checking the time and calculating how many minutes were left for us to get there so that I could still catch the GO train I needed to make in order to connect with an earlier bus from Oshawa to Peterborough. We sat for an extra minute at St. Patrick's Station, so that means we need to be out of Osgood Station by 521. I was so consumed with my repeated arithmetic calculations that I missed every moment of the trip. Moments of grace that I might have found in the beautiful face of a senior, in the antics of a young child, in offering a smile to someone amused by the same advertising banner as me. It made me good at mental addition and subtraction, but that was about the only benefit. It sure didn't get me home any sooner. My nighttime version of this runs along the lines of, if I don't fall asleep in the next 17 minutes, I won't be able to get eight hours of sleep. That fretting, of course, only makes it less likely that I will, in fact, fall asleep. Even though I've framed this as a malady of modern life, it's ancient, too, and it's addressed in what may be one of the oldest of the Psalms, Psalm 90. Here's how it goes. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. O Lord, you have been our help in all generations. Before the mountains were born and you brought forth the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to the dust, saying, Return, O sons of man, for a thousand years in your eyes are like yesterday when it passes, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass that sprouts anew. In the morning it blossoms and 
sprouts anew, by evening it withers and dries up. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and we hasten off by your wrath. You have put our iniquities before you, our hidden sins, into the light of your countenance. For all of our days dwindle away in your rage. We complete our years like a sigh. As for the days of our years, within them are seventy years, or if by strength eighty years, and their pride is trouble and disaster. For it passes quickly, and we fly away. Who knows the strength of your anger and your rage consistent with the fear do you? So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your loyal love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen calamity. Let your work be visible to your servants and your majesty to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish for us the work of our hands. Yes, the work of our hands, establish it. This particular psalm has similarities to many others, but also at least one unique point. The epigraph that it starts with indicates that it was written by Moses, the only one of the 150 psalms attributed to him. And we'll come back to why that may help us make some sense of the content of this particular psalm. But it is similar to other psalms in its use of strong contrasts, and a change in the psalmist's perspective as the psalm progresses. So let's dig in. The psalmist begins with an acknowledgement that God is both infinite and eternal. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past. I don't think that Moses is saying that things are moving faster for God so that the past is much closer to the present for God than for us. Like saying that for a dog, one of their years is seven of our years, and for us, one of our years is a thousand of God's. I don't think that's what the psalmist is getting at. I think he's saying that God dwells outside of time, inhabits the eternal present. He says, from everlasting to everlasting, from all past to all future, you are God, present tense. I think that's important because it seems to me to offer a clue to our dilemma around time. If we are made in God's image and are being grown up, matured to be those who will participate in God's eternal kingdom, then it seems to me that explains some of our discomfort with time, with living in a temporal rat race. If we're created with the seed of eternity in our soul, but are living in a world controlled by clocks, metronomes, and calendars, we will always feel a bit like a fish out of water. And the psalmist goes on to describe our condition. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. You sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. 
We live for 70 years or so. With luck, we might make it to 80. But what do we have to show for it? Trouble. Toil and trouble and a marker in the graveyard. This is a pretty grim picture. According to the psalmist, our lives are little more than one rotation on an endless treadmill of recycled carbon atoms. I remember a friend in university who was a passionate idealist. He said he didn't want to end up being just one more man following one more woman pushing one more shopping cart around one more grocery store, working to live and living to work. Maybe he had been reading this psalm. The psalmist seems to have a ready explanation for why mortals are trapped in this unhappy situation. He says it's because of their sin. For we are brought to an end by your anger and we hasten off by your wrath. Here's where I think it's helpful to remember that this psalm is attributed to Moses. The story of the Exodus in the first part of the Hebrew Scriptures is also attributed to Moses. In that narrative, Moses tells us that God wipes out large numbers of people with a plague because they complained about their food and swallowed up others in a sudden sinkhole for challenging his leadership. How we hold passages like those in the light of Jesus who perfectly reflects God's nature, Jesus, who was gracious, non-judgmental, and non-violent. Uh, that's a topic for another day, and perhaps for another speaker. But we don't need to sort that to make sense of this psalm. If we look beyond our individual sins and their consequences, if we look at a more fundamental level, we know that our vulnerability to death is a result of sin, capital S, sin, and that's what Jesus saves us from. The psalmist, of course, doesn't see what God will do, how God will intervene many centuries later to deliver us from a relentless treadmill that ends with our death. But he does gain perspective that helps him in the short term. So often in the Psalms, the writer will spend the first part pouring out his complaint, itemizing all the ways he is being victimized. But then, just as we hope will happen when we pray, he gets a different perspective and ends on a more positive note. In today's psalm, Moses does find reason to be hopeful. He finds a hope that comes from living differently on the treadmill and hope that comes from stepping off the treadmill. In verse 12, he prays, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Or, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. People who have recovered from a serious illness often report that they value every day in a new way. See it as a gift. Don't take it for granted. But without that kind of wake-up call, it's all too easy to plod through our days just assuming that there will be more of them, not wisely stewarding each day as a gift. This is perhaps an extreme example, but I recall a patient I took care of who was well into his 90s. He'd seen his wife and most of his friends die before him. The symptoms he came to emerge with led to the diagnosis of an inoperable brain cancer. 
His family doctor came in to visit him in hospital to offer support and to talk about planning for his last days. So, the patient fired the doctor because he had the audacity to suggest that he might die. We live in a death-denying society. It's as though we're playing a kind of peekaboo game with death behind a blanket, where if we don't look at it, it won't happen. Many even have trouble saying the D word. Yet the psalmist suggests that to live life well, to live it wisely, we need to give a view to our end. I don't think he's suggesting a life shrouded with black crepe where we endlessly ruminate about death and dying. Not at all. But acknowledging that for all of us, death will come, often unbidden and out of our control. Choosing to admit that rather than deny it can make us more prudent and planful, more eager to mend broken relationships, and more grateful, seeing each new day and new year as a gift to be appreciated rather than a right to be assumed. The psalmist prays, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. But I said the psalmist also offered a second perspective that I referred to as stepping off the treadmill. He asks God for a moment in which he can be filled, satisfied with God's steadfast love. And he says he'll carry that with him back onto the treadmill of his life and it will make all the difference. Here's how Peterson translates that verse. Surprise us with love at daybreak, then we'll skip and dance all the day long. These two different notions of time are embedded in the Greek language. Either time that is like being on a relentless hamster wheel, or in contrast, experiencing a moment where time seems to stand still. The two words, chronos and kairos, can both be translated time. Chronos is very much rooted in the passage of time. When I think about it, I almost hear a metronome or a grandfather clock ticking away in the background. The relentless transit of time that we can't stop and may struggle to keep up with. It's very much what I described in my commuter calculus of counting the minutes to catch the right train to make the right bus. But Kairos is quite different. It's sometimes translated as moment rather than time. The metaphor that's often used is the experience of a first kiss when time seems to stand still. Or the experience of profound beauty We might describe a remarkable work of art as taking our breath away, transporting us to a place where even the biological rhythm of our breath is halted for a moment. Mark Buchanan, in his book, The Rest of God, says, When we play, we nudge the border of forever. It seems to me that moments of kairos connect us with that seed of the eternal that is in our souls. When we learn to dwell in those moments, we nudge the border of forever. Tomorrow, we head into a new year, a year full of fears and hopes, plans and promises, 
full of surprises, some good, some bad, but as, but as yet all unknown. So I pray with the psalmist that God will teach us to number our days so that we get a heart of wisdom. And I pray that we would more and more find and dwell in moments of Kairos. Amen. Amen.